0: welcome to the podcast for windsor road baptist church prepare your heart to receive god's message good as far as the camera goes? Yeah, you gotta stand in a certain position. Uh, well, welcome to Windsor Road. Uh, whether you're joining us online or here in person, it's great to have your company. Um, a police officer pulled the driver aside and asked to speak to him. What's wrong, officer? The driver asked. I didn't go through any red lights and I certainly wasn't speeding. No, you weren't, said the officer but I saw you waving your fist as you swerved around the lady driving in the left lane. And furthermore, I observed your flushed and angry face as you shouted at the driver of a Toyota Land Cruiser who cut you off, and how you pounded your steering wheel when the traffic came to a stop near the bridge. Is that a crime, officer? No. But when I saw that Jesus loves you, and so do I, bumper sticker on the car, I figured this car had to be stolen. <laughs> yeah, this morning, I want to speak to us about the dangers of and remedy for self-righteousness and hypocrisy as we continue our sermon series based on the gospel according to Luke. Our text this morning is from Luke 11:37 37 to 54, which uh, Sue read to us earlier. In the passage, we find uh, the account of Jesus' second conflict with the Pharisees and the scribes, or experts in the law. We came across them back in Luke chapter 6 in early April, and Jesus clashed with them, if you remember, over the observance of Sabbath laws. Now please keep in mind that while the name Pharisee is used in a derogatory way today, that was not the case uh, at the time of Jesus' ministry. The Pharisees, together with the scribes, who were scholars and who dedicated their lives to meticulously copying the scriptures to preserve them from decay and corruption were very well respected and powerful. As the most Popular lay movement at the time and the strictest of uh, all the Jewish religious sects, they commanded significant sway amongst the ruling authorities and the Jewish clergy of the day. And they control much of uh, Jewish society in the century before Christ and the century after Christ. The Pharisees worked tirelessly. To understand and to interpret and to apply God's laws uh, to every area of life. Their initial motive was noble. Their initial motive was to honor God. They wanted to do the right thing by God. But gradually, this morphed into something very sinister. You see, over time, they made up hundreds of rules and regulations, standards, and guidelines The governed Jewish life, which had no grounding in the Old Testament, which was their Bible at the time. There were 613 laws they made up altogether, of which 365 were thou shalt nots, and 248 were thou shalt." Eventually, their rules and their traditions were given equal authority as God's word. No wonder Jesus was severe uh, on them and, and telling them off. He had harsh words for them. And in retaliation, the Pharisees and the scribes constantly opposed, harassed, and criticized Jesus. From his, pe- from his preaching to his miracles, from his acts of compassion and kindness, uh, they didn't just stop at uh, disagreeing with Jesus they were determined to employ every tactic available at their disposal to silence Jesus and be rid of him. In our text, a particular Pharisee who invites Jesus to his home to have a meal is offended that Jesus did not wash his hands before he ate. Now, his offense had nothing to do with hygiene, but at the fact that Jesus broke one of their sacrilege traditions to do with ritual purification. Ritual washings were common knowledge in the Old Testament uh, Old Testament uh, were common knowledge to Jews because it's in the New Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there are various ritual washings that Jews had to perform before they could go into the temple to worship God. But the Pharisees took these ritual washing laws up a notch by insisting that the ritual of uh, uh, the ritual act of purification must be applied as well prior to eating a meal the instructions very detailed bordering on being obsessive and compulsive but nowhere did jesus prescribe this practice they made it up they invented it it was a tradition that had not that was not grounded in Scripture, Jesus knew what his host was thinking and he was having none of it. So he took the opportunity right there and then to challenge and expose him and all of the Pharisees who were present there. Look, Jesus' problem with the Pharisee and the scribes in this instance was not about the washing of hands at all. It was their self-righteousness and hypocrisy. They were very proud and self-assured when it came to their knowledge and ability to observe the Mosaic law. As such, their standards, which they didn't live up to themselves, became the plumb line by which to measure others. As Max Locado puts it brilliantly, self-righteous people make their opinion your burden. They make their opinion your boundary. They make their opinion your obligation. Many years ago, Sue, this is many years ago, Sue was cleaning out the church. My Sue, there are three Sues here, so I need to clarify which one. So my Sue was cleaning out the church office and came across a box filled with styrofoam cups. She decided to use them instead of waste them. And with the styrofoam cup in hand, an individual walked up to Sue and said to her sternly, this is so unchristian. This is so unchristian. And even after Sue explained herself gently to to this person, this person was unmoved. And where God's law became too challenging for the Pharisees and the scribes, they would either look for loopholes to make God say what they wanted it to say or they would decide the order of importance in order to justify themselves in other words their so-called standard of righteousness the so-called standard of holiness was always on their terms to suit their agenda their needs and their wants and their lifestyle little wonder then they could do no wrong everything was stacked in their favor They became right in their own eyes. They became God's self-appointed judge, jury, and executioner. Externally, they were squeaky clean, but internally, Jesus pointed out that they were full of greed and wickedness, corrupt and contaminated. Brothers and sisters, you know what what the scary thing was. Their self-righteousness, their hypocrisy blinded them to what Jesus was saying. They couldn't see it. They honestly believed they were okay with God. That's the scary part. In their own estimation of themselves, they honestly thought, that they were right with God, that they were okay with God. We're not the problem here, Jesus. You are. You're not fulfilling our traditions. You're not cleaning your hands. And we insist that you do. And because you do, you shouldn't call yourself a rabbi. That's why the Pharisee was surprised. Because he thought Jesus being a rabbi ought to know these rituals that make us clean before God. Wash your hands, Jesus. You've got the problem. You are the problem. Jesus branded them. You foolish people. In Matthew's account in chapter 15, verses 7 and 9 of the same story, Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees and scribes is much fuller. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right, the prophet, when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Not only that they talk the talk and not walk the walk, their priorities were very skewed back to front and inside out. They majored on the minor stuff and then they minored on the major stuff using a common an honorable act of giving alms to the poor, Jesus called on them to show due diligence in the matters of the heart, just like a person back then who approaches the cherished and hallowed act of offering alms to the poor and vulnerable. The quote from Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart with all diligence for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart with all diligence because the matters of the heart are important to God. And after sternly, sternly pointing out their self righteousness and hypocrisy as their core problem, Jesus then gives uh, real life examples of how that played out in their lives. The first example is their selective and conditional obedience in verse 42. See, the Pharisees and scribes were meticulous and big on tithing. They would have no hesitation putting themselves forward as examples to follow on this issue. However, when it came to being just and being loving to their neighbors, they were completely lax. Being people of good character, that's hard by giving a tenth of what's in my veggie garden to God, well, that's easy peasy, lemon squeezy. No wonder they made a song and dance about it because it was doable. In other words, they were using tithing from the veggie gardens to avoid having to be people of character. This is classic self-righteousness and hypocrisy on display getting their knickers in a knot over people, not tithing from their veggie guns, but conveniently turning a blind eye to their callous hearts toward people. Can you see that? Jesus took them to task for their diabolical double standards. You should tithe, yes, but you should not have neglected the more important things of the heart. The second example in how their self-righteousness and hypocrisy played out is is in their arrogant and pompous behavior. Take, for instance, the scribes mentioned earlier, their lawyers, men who gave their whole lives to carefully copying the scriptures. So as a result of their constant uh, exposure to God's word, it made them extremely knowledgeable. Hence, they were called upon often to explain and apply God's word because they were seen as experts in the field of theology. So if you like, in contemporary terms, they were scholars. They knew God's word more than anybody else. They were somebody with a capital S. As such, they felt entitled to front row seats in the synagogues normally reserved for the most respective members of the community and the wealthiest of nobles, and not to mention the public edulation in the marketplaces that they also felt entitled to. And that's the thing about self-righteous people. It is all about making themselves look big. Their faith is not so much in God as in themselves. They always think, they know best. Always wanting to have the last word. They often cast themselves as spiritual watchdogs over doctrinal matters. See, self-righteous people are often conceitedly assertive and dogmatic with their viewpoints. That's because no one gets the scriptures like they do. No one understands the scriptures like they do. No one sees the scriptures like they do. Their insights are second Self-righteous people will often say they will consider another point of view, but this is highly unlikely as Proverbs 18.2 describes them perfectly. Fools, self-righteous people, have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Fools do not seek out for understanding. They have no interest in wanting to know more. They only want to air their own opinions. They feel superior to and feel slighted by people who disagree with them. Woe to us, Jesus says, when we are self-righteous like that. The third example is an interesting one. The book of Leviticus is clear that touching an animal or body would make you uh, ceremonially unclean. Well, the Pharisees believed that you could be defiled even if your shadow crossed a dead body or if you walked over someone's grave. So they made it their mission to identify all unmarked graves so that they could avoid it. Using their obsession on this issue, Jesus declared that it is their self-righteousness, their hypocrisy, that are like unmarked graves, defiling people under their influence. Jesus is saying, don't worry about the unmarked graves. You are an unmarked grave. You are defiling, and you defile those under your influence. How? How? Well, let me suggest this. Because self-righteous people people are so self-assured and proud about their knowledge of God's word, they're unteachable. And this manifests itself in contentious and argumentative behavior. And that is the third woe. The Pharisees and the scribes were unteachable. Consider one of the many instructions from the apostles, from the Apostle Paul to his protege in Timothy, uh, uh, his protege Timothy, in 2 Timothy. Verse 14. Keep reminding people of these things. Warn them before God about quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. That's okay to have good discussions. I'm not this is not about that. It's when we get contentious, it's when we get argumentative, it's when we get hung up over certain words, and when we are conceited and assertive when we air those opinions. That's that's what Paul is talking about. It ruins people who are listening to this exchange. Now, I've been a part of groups and I just want to get out because it profits no one in that group. You know, it starts off innocently on John 3:16. Well, what does this mean? What does that mean? Well, the real word, the Greek word, and it becomes this hoopla, this, this, this debate that doesn't benefit those are watching that's, on, that, that, that's watching this on display. It's embarrassing. I mean, just imagine non-Christians witnessing this. How is that glorifying God? How is that bringing honor to God? And that's what Paul tells his protege Timothy. Warn the people of God under your care. Do not get into these divisive arguments, argumentative behaviors. And then in verse 23, he repeats his warning. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And in 1 Timothy 6, 4, which Paul underscores to Timothy why it is vital for him to deal with contentious people. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person is an unhealthy desire, here again, to quibble over the meaning of words. And this stirs up arguments that end in jealousy, division, slander. Now, I like the last one, that's interesting evil suspicions. Conversations that cast a shadow over someone's integrity. terrible those are the symptoms of someone who's unteachable but just everywhere they go they stir they love stirring the pot it maybe gives them meaning I don't know maybe during the week they live such boring lives such uninteresting lives and in a life together group they thrive because that's when they can air their superior knowledge Superior opinions. Honestly, get a life. Fourthly, people who are self-righteous and hypocritical are the first to criticize and the last to help. They're quick to say what's wrong with you, what you're not doing enough of. Instead, you should be doing this and doing this and doing this. They settle people with expectations they often don't uh, think, apply to them or meet. And they require of others what they will not do themselves. And while they're quick to criticize and make suggestions on what you should do, they're unwilling to lend a hand. They often lack compassion. Jesus called them sadistic hypocrites. I call them armchair critics. People who criticize from the side. Oh, we should be doing this. You should be doing that. You should be doing that. X, Y, Z. Are you willing to be part of the solution? Nah, haven't got time for that. You know people like that? Maybe that person is in you. It's easy to make criticisms. Comes naturally to all of us, doesn't it? I include myself comes very naturally criticism you don't need a manual on that how to criticize It's inbred in fact if we can all we can all write a book on how to criticize it'll be so thick how to encourage <laughs> how do we encourage oh i don't know it's a bit of a tough one that one uh, Maybe we should have a word study on encourage. What's the Greek word say? Criticize. Oh, oh, yes. Easy. To point out things that are wrong in a person, things that are wrong with an organization, things that are wrong in your workplace, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what are you going to do about it? And if you're not willing to lend a hand, zip out. Right. Well, what's the point in pointing things out? And often it's done harshly and without compassion. In his concluding remarks, Jesus escalates his condemnation of the Pharisees and scribes' self-righteous and hypocritical behavior by making a historical tie to the past with a twist. Jesus reference about them building tombs for prophets put there by the ancestors who killed the prophets seem seemed to be saying, you say you honor the prophets sent by God. Here I am sent by God, yet you reject me. And by doing so, you are hypocritical, just like your murderous fathers. The tombs you build are nothing more than memorials of their rejection of the prophets of old, the rejection of God They reflect your approval of what your fathers did. Woe to you. Indeed, they, they did follow the ancestors' ways by having Jesus killed, and later on, the apostles, his disciples. And then in the strongest condemnation of all, Jesus said to them that instead of guiding people to truth, they are obstacles to truth. Not only are they lost themselves, they're also keeping others lost. They're like the blind leading the blind. So what is the remedy to self-righteousness and hypocrisy. Well, Jesus actually prescribed a remedy and it involves nothing less than grace. It involves nothing less than the understanding, the comprehension, the deep abiding and embracing of the gospel of grace, which he illustrates in a story he tells in Luke chapter 18, verses nine to 14. I'm just going to read it. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Stood by himself. He's cutting himself off, excluding himself because no one is as worthy as he is. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I instead fast twice a week. Goody two-shoe. and I give you a tenth of my income regularly. Same day every month. Direct bank deposit. I've been doing it for years. Can you see their confidence, where their confidence lies, where their boasting lies, where their faith lies in themselves? I'm so proud of myself. I'm so proud of my pedigree. I'm so proud of my CV. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dare not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this sinner, not the Pharisee, return home justified before God, put right with God. But those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves, I will exalt. Timothy Keller says it this way, the gospel is this, I know I've quoted this before, but it's a great quote. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. To be loved and not known is comforting, but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything, this love, this this understanding of God's grace. See, when you rip off the mask of a self-righteous person, what you find is a very insecure person. What you find is a very insecure person. Self-righteous people, they're like peacocks. They love to show off. Because deep down inside, they don't feel too good about themselves. So they latch on to something they feel passionate about. See, you can be self-righteous about anything. Not just about theology. You can be self-righteous about a cause. See? Anything. Anything. Because that defines you. That adds worth and value to who you are. No, we need to experience God's love and grace. The experience of God's love is what a self-righteous person needs. This grace, this, this, this understanding and experience of God's love, it liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficult, difficulty life can throw at us. As we sung earlier, all that is good, All that is wonderful in our lives is because of the mercy and grace of God. If we're going to boast, let it be Christ alone. Let it be his righteousness alone and not our own. So as an application for this week, I like to ask you, ask the Lord to search your heart as you read and meditate on Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. The story that we just read earlier is told by Jesus. It was in your news bulletin. I don't know whether you already begun reading that passage, but for this week if you haven't, look at the passage again. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. And as you read it, ask the Lord to search your heart and then respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction as he shows you in which way in ways in which you have become like a Pharisee and then soak, repent and then soak in his deep, affectionate and unimaginable, devoted and tender love. It is the experience, the understanding and the experience of God's love and grace that is the remedy for our self-righteousness. Let us stand and pray and then Sue will lead us in our final song. My worth is not in, is not what I own. And the prayer comes from Psalms 51, Psalms 32, and 1 John 1, 9. Yeah? Let's stand and pray together. At a count of three. One, two, three. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You do not delight in sacrifice, for I would bring it you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Therefore, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is known to see. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. We pray all this in the gracious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Remain standing as we sing. My worth is not in what I own.